reading this morning is from the book of Galatians, Paul's letter to the Galatian church, chapter 5. Starting to read from verse 1, and this can be found on page 1171. 1171. And this is what Paul says, inspired by the Spirit of God. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ be, will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly, eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Brothers and sisters, if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. As for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let's not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everybody. It's really nice to be with you again. Thank you, Esther, for inviting me and uh, for a lovely warm welcome. For those of you who are visitors and perhaps here to have your bands read or um, visiting family, if you haven't got a clue what an archdeacon looks like, then don't look too... <laughs> I'll, I'll, tr I'll try to explain to you later what an archdeacon does if you're really interested. Um, but I'm, I'm here to speak this morning and uh, it's my privilege to do so. So... Um, let me say a prayer. Father, we thank you for the riches of your uh, word to us and your spirit who is with us now and that he's the spirit of truth. So please speak your word of truth into all our hearts and lives. Help us to understand what he says and especially help us to live it out uh, because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I should say before I begin, um, thank you for all you are and do uh, in the Lord's service here um, at St. Swithin's and in other places for your prayers and your giving and your faithful service. Um, I especially want to say thank you to those of you who are involved in the deanery supper. Uh, Ruth and I were invited to the deanery supper that took place here three weeks ago, Esther? I can't remember what it was. And I know a lot of you were involved in serving us and in preparing food. It was just fantastic, really, really good, deeply moving. Um, so as a visitor to that occasion, can I say thank you on, on behalf of all the deanery clergy. It was a real encouragement to them. You looked after them really, really well. So well done. If you, um, sometimes it's not, pride is a sin, but I think you should feel proud of yourselves and what you gave us. It was really, really good. And, and can I say also thank you uh, to all those of you who are carrying a slightly heavier load than normal during the vacancy. Um, Esther said a little bit that kind of the, um, we're getting to the, to the kind of the time where the rubber hits the road. The closing date for the applications has finished. There's been a good response. Uh, although as I, I, as I often say to, to parishes, the number of applications means nothing. Uh, I, I once had 36 applications for a post and the Lord's discernment, having shortlisted really carefully and having interviewed very thoroughly the view of everybody unanimously who was involved in the interviews, that out of all those 36 people, we hadn't met the right one. And many, many times, there may be only a few applications, and it becomes as clear as anything who it is that the Lord is calling. So don't be seduced by numbers, there actually have been a good number of, of applications. I can't remember how many because I deal with lots of different vacancies at one particular time. Um, but you only need one person, the Lord's person. 
So please pray for Alice and Keith and for your patrons, Simeon trustees, particularly a chap called John Risden, who I think is, is familiar to some of you on the PCC. I think he's been to, to visit. I, I'm involved too, and, and Richard Rural Dean. And we'll be sifting those applications, looking carefully again at your parish profile, and trying to marry up the gifts and skills and experiences presented by the people who've applied and seeking to discern under God which of them are the closest fit with what you, the PCC, have decided under God you feel is what's required. So it's a kind of a matching exercise. We want the person with the right gifts to fill the hole that is St. Swithin's. A round peg for a round hole. And we don't want square pegs. So uh, over these next few weeks, uh, it, it's quite an important piece of work to be done. And I'm sure all of us involved will really, really value your prayers. Um, my prayer in these things is always, your will be done, Lord. Your will be done. Uh, and that's a good prayer to pray in this. Your will be done, Lord. Please lead us to the person that you're preparing. If you want to know more about how it works, um, then I'll be staying for some cake and a cup of tea, because I prefer tea to coffee. Um, but do sidle up to me and say, what happens about this, or what happens about that? And I'll do my best to answer. I think that's all. So I'm going to preach now, if that's okay. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, Esther, the five minutes I've taken so far doesn't come off my preaching time. <laughs> so I'm going to claim my 20 minutes starting from now. The, uh, the scientist uh, Albert Einstein once said, there are two ways you can live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle. The other is as though everything is a miracle. I like that. And we have a choice, it's really what he's saying. Uh, a choice as the, way, as the way we see the world. And most of us make choices a lot of the time and we don't even think about it. I did think seriously about whether I should wear shorts this morning, <laughs> and I thought I would spare you. Uh, but I did go for a short sleeve patterned shirt, because I thought I could get away with that at St. Swithin's, and I wanted to be comfortable. I wouldn't have tried it anywhere else. More seriously, leave or remain? I still think a lot of people made the wrong choice, but I shouldn't say too much about that. May or Leadsome? Or very, very seriously, to go to McDonald's and have a classic burger or take out a pistol and start shooting people? Somebody has written, ours is an age of tolerance. People love to have the best of both worlds and hate to be forced to choose. It's commonly said that it doesn't matter what people believe as long as they're sincere and that it's unwise to clarify issues too plainly or to focus them too sharply. Here's the point. But Jesus Christ will not allow us to sit on the fence and live in a haze. Christ urges us to choose to be definite and decisive. Are we for him or are we not? 
If you like executive summaries, Esther, you'll be disappointed. When I spoke to you earlier in the week, I thought I would speak about the fruit of the Spirit. I'm going to refer to them. But the heart of what I want to say this morning is, like Einstein, Paul is saying to us here, we, ha- we have to choose how we're going to live. To live by what Paul calls the flesh. In other words, to live selfishly and for ourselves, doing what we want to do, or to live by the Spirit, in the words of St. Paul. That's the executive summary, and you can go to sleep now if you think you've had enough. The background to the letter, most of you probably know if you've been studying it for the last few weeks. Uh, Paul is writing to the Galatian church in rather a forthright tone. You can almost imagine him as the rabbi wagging his finger and being very directive and clear and forceful at times about what he says. Some of his letters are really rather gentle and kind. And if you want to compare, look at the letters to the Philippians, for instance. But Paul is deeply concerned to bring back to faith those who've been misled by false teaching. And he's also keen to establish his own credentials as a genuine follower of Jesus and as a bona fide apostle. Because reading between the lines, it appears that he's being criticized and others are doubting whether he really is authentic in what he says. And so he robustly defends himself and he robustly makes clear his position. In the early verses, uh, maybe some of you have opened your Bibles to chapter 5. I am going to be going through it, not necessarily verse by verse, but referring to the text from time to time. In the early verses, Paul urges his readers to stand firm. That's one of his messages. Stand firm in the freedom Jesus has won for us all. And don't be burdened or weighed down by sin and guilt. And he says particularly to Jewish Christians, remember much of his audience would have been Jewish, Jewish Christians, you're no longer to be burdened by the demands of the law. He describes that as a kind of yoke of slavery. Now, for those of us who don't have a Jewish background, um, that may be harder for us to understand. Uh, It's interesting that the author to the Hebrews uses similar kind of language when he writes in chapter 12 of the importance of throwing off everything that burdens us and things that so easily entangle us so that we can run with perseverance the race that sets before us. Do you remember a few years ago, uh, somebody did the London Marathon in a diving suit? Uh, They had, you know, the tanks and the big heavy mask and the iron boots. Um, and, And apparently it took them six and a half days to do the 26 miles. And you could literally see him almost kind of have to lift his legs as he kind of did, I think he did about uh, a mile a day. Sorry, a a mile an hour, less than that. Uh, And uh, what Paul is saying to Jewish Christians, the law is like that. It weighs you down. He's saying to to those who aren't Jewish, sin for all of us can weigh us down and hold us up. It becomes a huge burden. 
But he says, because of Jesus and because his death on the cross, we're free from all of that. So enjoy that freedom and glory in it. Be thankful for it. And don't keep going back to the old way of life, which was such a burden to you. You're free of all that. So don't, like a dog, go back to your old vomit. Move forward. And then he gets into more detailed stuff, which again which would have been much more familiar to a Jewish audience 2,000 years ago, and be even more familiar, more familiar too to, to Jews today. It's a detailed argument about circumcision. What we need to realize is that this isn't an argument about male anatomy or physiology, but it's about faith and theology. If you were a Jew, you had to be circumcised. And so when Jewish men became followers of Jesus, an important question was, am I primarily a Jew or am I primarily a Christian? My body tells me I'm a Jew, but I'm also a follower of Christ. But even more significantly, given that most of the early Christians were Jewish, most of the earlier Christians were Jewish. What happens when somebody who isn't a Jew decides to follow Jesus? You know what it's like when you're in a group and you're in a small minority? The majority view tends to hold sway. So if you're one non-Jewish man and you decide to become a follower of Jesus, you'd be under a lot of pressure to become circumcised because everybody else is. And Paul's saying, forget about that. It's not important. That's one of the things, one of the burdens, one of the things that is not important that you're making far too important. Don't let that kind of thing drag you down. Jesus is much more important than Jewish law. He sums his position up in verse 6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. It's a waste of time. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And he goes on quite forcefully to tell them not to become distracted by worrying about that kind of thing. Verse 7, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept from obeying the truth? And if you like dark humor, that's meant to be funny who cut in on you. It's a joke about circumcision. Who cut in you? You were running a good race. And he suggests in verse 10 that, you've been, that they've been thrown into confusion by spurious and pointless arguments which are of no significance. He reminds them of the freedom that they enjoy. Verse 13, brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. 
And he goes on to stress that the freedom Jesus has won for them is not to be abused, but used properly and for the glory of God. And note, this is a calling. You are called to be free. It's a gift of God's grace. When God calls, he calls us to be free. Free of our past. Free of guilt. Free of sin. Free from anything that would hold us back and be a distraction. We're called by God to freedom, and that's a gift of God's grace. But then he explains that the freedom that Jesus has given us is not a freedom to indulge ourselves or to do whatever we want. Some people have thought over the generations, thousands and thousands of years, with this kind of logic, if because of Jesus I'm now free from sin and guilt, I might as well sin as much as I possibly can because Jesus will forgive me anyway. Now, there is a logic to that, but it's a false logic. It's an entirely false logic. When I married Ruth, my wife, I did so because I love her and still do. And I renounced the freedom to play around with other women. I could have done that, but it would have made a nonsense of the fact that I professed love for Ruth and committed to marry her and to be faithful to her for the rest of my life. And even though I hope and pray that if I had fooled around with other women, she would have forgiven me. I think she probably would have given me a good slapping, actually. <laughs> it would have been a denial of everything that had gone before. So our freedom in Jesus is not a freedom to indulge ourselves. It's not freedom to sin again. Freedom is not freedom to exploit others, Paul goes on, but to serve. And our freedom is not to disregard the law, but to love as Christ loves us. You're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature, Paul writes, rather to serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And notice in verse 15, there's a stark warning which illustrates that the discussion the Galatian church were having was a very heated one. People often view freedom of any sort as permission to do anything they might want, but that's, that's absurd. Freedom is always exercised in relation to the freedom of other people. I'm free to come over to Esther and slap her around the head. I'm free to do that. Is it a kind and loving thing to do? Of course not. By exercising my freedom to slap her over the head, I'm denying her freedom. She might want to retaliate, actually. <laughs> so that would be a very scary thing to do as well. Freedom is always exercised in relation to the freedom of other people, but it's also exercised 
in relation to a just and holy God. I wouldn't slap Esther around her head because I know it's wrong. I wouldn't play around with other women because I know it would be wrong. An offence about the God I profess to be following. Now here's the heart of the matter. How are we meant to live then? How are we meant to live? And Paul suggests that we are meant to live living by the Spirit, verse 16. And it's not necessarily easy. In verses 17 and 18, he talks about what he implies, that there's a kind of conflict, almost a a, a war going on. As one of the commentators I read has put, the underlying metaphor is that of walking, but sometimes this walking may seem like the walk of a cat along a wall topped with glass shards. Now, that's a very poignant illustration. You've seen, I don't like cats particularly, but you can see a cat on a wall picking its way very carefully and deliberately and slowly. And sometimes that's an appropriate metaphor for walking by the Spirit. We take care how we live. We are responsible about how we live. We are deliberate and focused in our actions and intention. In essence, living by the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, means living in natural and constant communion with Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, not trying to stick to a set of rules and regulations as the Jews did with their laws, but recognising that Jesus is our friend and our constant companion and deliberately choosing to seek to please him in every moment of every day. And that's what Jesus himself spoke about in John chapter 15, where he likens himself to a vine and to us as branches. And he tells his disciples that they're all his friends, that he lets them into his inmost secrets. And then he says, I've chosen you to bear fruit, fruit that will last. And his image is, as you walk closely with me, remaining in me, united to me, the the vine, you, the branches, my fruit will grow up through you and in you as the Spirit works in your life. Like sap through a plant is the Spirit in the vine. And it's all born out of relationship. If you do your studies later on these fruits of the Spirit, go back to John 15, 1 to 17, and make the link. It's a really fruitful exercise, if you'll excuse the pun. But first, we are called to seek to crucify the sinful nature in ourselves, verse 24. Those who belong to Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And in verse 19 through to 20, Paul talks about specific things which need to die within us. 
and I'm not going to list them now. Now, in other places, Paul talks about being crucified with Christ, and that's not what he's talking about here. He is using the word crucify in the same way that in other places he uses the word put these things to death. In Colossians chapter 3, he uses a similar list to those in verse 19 onwards and says you've got to put these things to death in your life. And the thing about crucifixion is it is done to you or you do it to somebody else. You can't crucify yourself. So what Paul is saying here is, you must choose to live in such a way that these things have no part of you. Some of you all know I used to teach. And when I would see a 14-year-old messing around in class, I would sometimes say quite sharply, cut it out. Whatever it was, forgive me for pointing to you. It wasn't that she was being naughty. Cut it out. Or pack that in. That's what Paul's saying here. Pack that in. Don't have anything to do with that. It's not part of what it means to live by the Spirit. Put it to death. To death. Knock it on the head. Have I got time to tell you a story? Yeah, I've got time to tell you a story. Um, when I was um, a parish priest a few years ago now, um, I can remember uh, befriending uh, a guy who was, um, he was a baptism, he was a father of a child he wanted baptized, and uh, we got friendly. We're still friends now, 20 years on. We got friendly initially by going, running together, and uh, he came to faith, he was baptized and confirmed, and we kept running each week. And uh, one night he said to me, do you know, I don't feel as though my life's any different from what it was before I came to know Jesus. So uh, we went back to, I think we went to the pub actually. <laughs> anyway, we had a serious conversation. And it was really, really interesting. I'm not gonna tell you his name or even where I was at the time. And, and it turned out that he was addicted to pornography. And he got a shed at the bottom of his garden and some filthy magazines. So I said, what, what are you going to do about this? And he said, well, if you think that's, it's going to help, I'll, I'll stop. Is that going to be a hard thing for you to do? No, it'd be quite easy. I said, well, what are you going to do with your magazines? Hmm. I don't know. I said, well, let's have a bonfire. So we had a bonfire. And I watched him rip them all up, page by page, screw them in the ball, throw them on the fire. And that was kind of very cathartic for him. And he hasn't, I mean, he hasn't kind of gone, shh. But it made a huge difference to him. And he would look back on that moment now as being very significant in his life and helping him to walk by the Spirit and putting to death something in his life that was wrong. So Paul goes on, live by the Spirit, 
be led by the Spirit. And the interesting thing is that the phrase that's used here for being led by the Spirit is a word that would also be used in the time at which Paul was writing for a farmer leading cattle with a stick and smacking them on the rump as they went in front of him. And it's the same word that would have been used for the wind blowing in a ship's sails, blowing the ship forward. It's the same word for a shepherd leading sheep, which in those days was often from the front with the sheep following the shepherd. And it's also the same word for a prisoner surrounded by soldiers, front, alongside, and behind, being led to court. So you have this picture of the Spirit leading his people alongside, from the front, and from behind. The Spirit, if you like, surrounding us, filling us from within, but surrounding us from without, and nudging us, prompting us, pulling us, blowing us, dragging us, whatever metaphor you want to use in the direction that Jesus wants to take us. As, as leader, the Spirit takes initiative and we submit to his control. He, he asserts his desire and plans for us. And if you like, he puts a gentle squeeze on us like a potter at his wheel, shaping the clay. But living by the Spirit isn't just a passive thing, it's an active thing too. Uh, like soldiers commissioned under authority go where their leader takes them. So that's the same with us. I've spoken about one of my grandsons, Joshua, before. Sometimes Joshua he's seven now, will say, come on, Grandpa, let's go for a walk. So I hold his hand. That probably won't happen much longer because he's seven now. And uh, I'll say to him, where do you want to go? He says, I don't know, Grandpa, you take me. So I'll think of somewhere. Or sometimes he'll say, let's go so-and-so and so-and-so. And so we'll go to wherever it is. And... Um, there's something very special about being with somebody who loves you and about you taking them or them taking you and sometimes stopping and looking at a slug or a spider's web and pausing and enjoying. And in other times, come on, we've got to get there in time or whatever it might be. And there's a little picture for us, perhaps, of what it is to walk in step with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. And the biblical picture I love the most is of the Emmaus Road, where Jesus himself drew nigh and walked with them as they journeyed, as the Scripture says. And Jesus does that with us by his Spirit as we journey on. I've overrun, but thank you for listening. Let's pray. Thank you for that lovely picture, Lord. 
of Jesus walking with those two disciples. May we be those who sense you journeying with us. May we take the hand that you reach out to us and follow where you lead. For Jesus' sake, amen.